0: Good morning is jesus good <laughs> amen he is good i've entitled the message this morning arise my love part two so this morning we are going to look at the place in scripture where the phrase arise my love appears and it actually appears twice in the second chapter of the song of solomon which is a love story and a love song so we're going to look at god's love for us again And we're going to look at what it means for us to arise. And we're going to look and see that when Jesus calls us to arise, he calls us to grow and show forth the fragrance of Christ. In part one, we looked at how very loved we are by God. How God the Father so loved us that he sent his only son, Jesus. And Jesus also loved us so much so that he was willing to lay down his life for us, taking all of our sin and our shame and all the sin of not just us, but of all mankind. And then, because Jesus had no sin in himself, death could not hold him in the grave. The grave only has power over those who are in sin. And when we come to Christ, we are no longer in sin. So the Father physically raised Jesus from the dead through the power of the Holy Spirit. And when he did, he displayed Jesus' complete victory over all the power of the enemy. And he demonstrated to all humanity what true love is really like. The true agape love of God is completely unmerited. Our Father knows us completely, and he loves us completely. And we know this is true because it was while we were yet sinners that Christ died for us. Our Father saw us at our worst, and He still wanted us. He still wanted us to be His again. God loves us because God Himself is love, and love does what love is. So God, who is love, demonstrates His love, and He demonstrates it to us and has demonstrated it forever. Understanding how very loved we are and how completely accepted we are by God is the foundation of our Christian life. We must be rooted and grounded in the agape love of God for us and our complete acceptance by our Father and the love and acceptance of Jesus and the love and acceptance of the Holy Spirit. All three. They are three separate people, but yet together they make one God. So the Father loves us, and Jesus loves us, and then the inside God person on the inside, He loves us. We can't get any more loved. (laughs) Many in the church today believe that the message of God's love and grace is for the immature believer. It's for the baby Christian. But the truth is, understanding God's love for us is the foundation of our relationship with God. The more we understand God's love for us, the more we will walk in who He has made us to be. And that's really the desire of our hearts, is that we should be able to walk in the reality of who we are in Jesus. So our identity really begins with knowing that we are wanted we're wanted, he sought us, (laughs) he pursued us, he wanted us, and he loved us, and now we are his. And I need to know that nothing at all can change that. I can't change his love for me. In fact, I am entirely powerless to change his love for me. He doesn't love me because I'm good. He loves me because he's good. So with this in mind, let us look at the phrase, Arise, my love, as it appears in Scripture. The Song of Solomon can be interpreted as an allegory of our relationship with Christ. He is the bridegroom. We, the church, are his bride. Now, it reads a little differently than the other books in the Bible because it is poetry. And so it was written in verses, and it is conveyed as a conversation between the bridegroom, the bride, and a chorus of onlookers. Imagine if you had your own chorus of onlookers wherever you went. (laughs) As my husband says, if you think of the Song of Solomon as a Facebook conversation, okay, where you have two people conversing in public, and then the onlookers get to join in, that's kind of how it's written. So if we understand that's how it was written, it's a little easier for us to understand. So we're going to look at how the main characters are presented and how they translate to Jesus and to us. We're actually only going to look at one scripture in the Song of Solomon. It's big all by itself. They'll just say that. In the second chapter, verse 10, it says, and this is the bride speaking. And she says, My beloved spake and said unto me, Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. The beloved is her bridegroom in the allegory. And for us, Jesus is our bridegroom. Jesus himself tells us he is the bridegroom. In Mark chapter 2, beginning in verse 18, it says this The followers of John and the Pharisees were fasting. And some people came to Jesus and said, John's followers fast, and the followers of the Pharisees fast but your followers don't fast. Why? See, fasting people don't like it when other people are eating. (laughs) And Jesus answered and said, at a wedding, the friends of the bridegroom are not sad while he is with them. They cannot fast while the bridegroom is still here. And Jesus is referring to himself. He goes on, but the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. He's speaking of the crucifixion and then the ascension. He says, and then they will fast. And he goes on and he says this to explain. When someone sews a patch over a hole in an old coat, they never use a piece of cloth that is not yet shrunk. If they do, the patch will shrink and pull away from the coat, and the hole will be worse. Also, no one ever pours new wine into old wineskins. The wine would break them, and the wine would be ruined along with the wineskins. You always put new wine in new wineskins. Jesus is telling us he is the bridegroom of a new covenant. And that's what he's talking about here. It may not look like it on the surface that he's talking about covenant, but that is exactly what he's talking about. When we try to mix the new covenant of relationship with God through Jesus with the old covenant idea of law-keeping... We will end up feeling half-naked and miserable. We can't take the righteousness of Jesus and add it to the old covenant way of being right with God. The old covenant law always demands perfection. So when believers add law-keeping, any kind of law-keeping, to their life as a way to make themselves more acceptable to Jesus, they always end up feeling naked In other words, the hole becomes worse because as believers, we want to please Jesus and we want to please our Father. So when we try to make ourselves more pleasing through our good works or our religious works, the hole in the garment gets bigger and bigger. (laughs) And we feel more and more exposed. Many, many, many years ago, my husband and I went to a Christian conference And at the end of this conference, a very well-meaning host invited everyone who did anything at church to come forward and be prayed for and be blessed by the leadership. And it was a large conference, probably over a thousand people there. And 99% of the people went forward. And I and my husband just stood there with the other 12 people (laughs) feeling uncovered exposed because this was the very first time in our Christian walk that we did not have works up to our eyeballs. I had done every possible position in my church. I started the nursery. I started the children's church. I did the bus ministry. I did the making meals for the shut-ins. I did the serving communion. I did the house cleaning and the lawn keeping and I did every single position my entire Christian walk. Because service to the church was service to God. Now, there is a truth in that. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Yes, when we serve, yes, it's because we love Jesus. But my service, see, made me feel good about myself. I didn't realize I had my own little coat of works righteousness. You see, yes, I had the blood of Jesus. I didn't think that all of my works saved me. But I just thought all of my works made me look pretty good. (laughs) Jesus likes the way I look today. (laughs) Look at all the good things I'm doing. Then God did something crazy. He told us to stop doing everything in ministry and to concentrate on raising our children. It was horrible. (laughs) It felt horrible. Because for the first time in my Christian walks, I had nothing to make myself more acceptable to Jesus. You see, the crazy thing was, I didn't need a code of works righteousness. So when I added my works righteousness to the righteousness of Jesus, you end up losing, you end up feeling exposed. Even though you know your salvation is by the blood, we think our acceptableness is by our works, by our obedience, by our, how often we read our Bible, how, by how often we witness, by how often we do X, Y, or Z. And he says, that never made you more acceptable. I cannot change my father's opinion." by my behavior it's impossible because when he looks at me he sees his son and Jesus is perfectly acceptable to the father when the father sees me he sees Jesus and he sees me in the same righteousness now does God see my mistakes and failures absolutely absolutely but when he sees look my, my baby girl's falling down <laughs> <laughs> she's getting hurt. She's getting messy. He doesn't turn away and say, when you get yourself together, come back. No, he comes to our rescue every single time. He is a good, good father. So while I and my husband were standing there feeling naked and exposed, <laughs> I said, God, this isn't fair. You see, I thought i actually needed their blessing. You see, that's what everyone went went forward for, because to get the blessing of the leadership, that's special. God, they're getting stuff I'm not getting because I'm not doing enough. (laughs) Not true. So I'm going, God, it's not fair. This isn't fair. I've always worked. I've always served God. This isn't fair. And he said, honey, he said, this is not righteous. This is religious. You see, it is religion that says you're blessable because of what you do. It is righteousness that says you're blessable because of Jesus. You see, that's backwards from the world. It takes faith to believe that God will bless me even when I fall. That God's not mad even when I'm a little bit rebellious. (laughs) He doesn't get mad. He knows I need him most when I'm in a mess. He never leaves, He never forsakes. I can't change His opinion of me. The same thing is true of the wine. The wine in this scripture represents the joy of our salvation. When we as believers add some kind of law keeping to our lives as a means of securing God's acceptance, you'll find out very quickly that your joy will run out because the law will tell you how far you fall short You will look in the mirror and you will say you are a failure. You will look in the mirror and say, you could do better. You will look in the mirror and say, what's the matter with you? Instead of looking in the mirror and saying, you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You are already blessed. You are already favored. You are already loved. We look in the mirror and see something different. We need to change our mind and take God's point of view instead of our own. Putting ourselves under any kind of law as a way of making ourselves acceptable to God is a surefire way of becoming miserable. Because it doesn't matter how hard you try, I used to get up at 5 a.m. and go to my church every single day and have prayer meeting from 5 to 6 a.m. Every day. Because I wanted God to bless me and I wanted God to do stuff for me. And I was told, if you give... If you do, if you serve, God will answer. That's not why God answers. God answers because he loves us. Because Jesus has already done all the doing. Jesus has made us acceptable. Jesus has made me blessable. What happens is you're going to end up oversleeping. You can be so perfect for weeks. And then that one day, You hit that snooze, and you're late for your own prayer meeting. (laughs) Oh, what a failure. (laughs) You see, it doesn't matter what kind of law we put on ourselves, we're going to fall short. Then we think somehow we have lost our Father's favor. And sometimes, even when you're not falling short, your own conscience will come along and tell you, you know, you could do better. You could work harder. You're not really giving this your all. (laughs) Even when you're doing exactly what Jesus told you to do. You see, when I and my husband stood there in that conference, you know what we had been doing? Exactly what our father told us to do. We were in complete obedience. And the Lord said to me, how many people who are up there at the front of the building are in complete obedience? I I don't know. He says, not much. (laughs) <laughs> because they had the law as their governor. They had the rule as their governor. They weren't listening to the Holy Spirit as their governor. And churches are full of people who are working really hard. And yes, they make a difference. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not against working too hard at the church. <laughs> but that's not what gives us relationship. That's not what gives us life. That's not what gives us blessing. Jesus is all of that. The truth is that we are in Jesus and we are in His perfect obedience. Could we say we were perfectly obedient? No. Not if we know what we're talking about. (laughs) We're never going to be perfectly obedient. God doesn't call us to perfect obedience. He calls us to faith. You know what obedience is? It's faith you can see. That's all it is. When I step out and do what Jesus says, because I believe him, it's faith you can see. That's what God's looking for. That we believe what he says to us, that we do what he says. Not what the church would say, not what our elders would say, not what the, the organization would say, but what does Jesus say? That's the faith that, that pleases God when we recognize how acceptable we are to our Father and to our Jesus, oh, the joy that floods your soul. (laughs) And you know what's great about the joy that floods your soul when you figure out, I can't mess this up. My joy doesn't break forth and get ruined. Like it said in the scripture, it said, also no one ever pours new wine into old wineskins. The wine would break them and the wine would be ruined. The joy is ruined when you think you have to work hard to please your father or please your Jesus. Instead of living by faith, there's always joy in living by faith. I love that because the word there for ruined means wrecked. And I tell people when I came into the revelation of grace, it wrecked me. It totally wrecked me. I found out the scripture was true because suddenly I did not fit in the wineskin anymore. I went to all kinds of different wineskins to find out where I fit, found out I didn't fit in any of them. The only place I fit is in Christ. The truth is that the new covenant of grace does not fit inside the old covenant of the law. And when we renew our minds to the message of God's grace, we'll find that there are lots of places we no longer fit. We don't fit under condemnation, we don't fit under the power of sin, we don't fit under works righteousness. We don't fit under hopelessness. We don't fit under religion. But we do fit perfectly into the new covenant of God's grace where we are made righteous through faith in the blood of Jesus and only in the blood of Jesus. So according to these scriptures, Jesus is saying, I am the bridegroom. I am the bridegroom of a new marriage covenant. Song of Solomon chapter 2, verse 10 says, My beloved spake. So the beloved is Jesus. Now the bride is the one who is speaking. We are that bride. Sometimes this is hard when the word uses word pictures. It's like women being sons of God. Some women take offense to being called the son of God, but it's a word picture that reveals the truth of our position in Christ. So it is with the bride of Christ. Gentlemen may feel a little uncomfortable about being called a bride. (laughs) It's a picture that reveals a reality. So male and female, we are his bride. In Ephesians chapter five, the apostle Paul paints a picture of the church as Christ's bride. Chapter five, beginning in verse 25, I have added the word agape because so often when we read the word love, we don't translate that. We think love in human terms. We need to think of love in God's terms. So it begins by this. Husbands, agape love your wives, even as Christ also agape loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought... Men to agape love their wives as their own bodies. He that agape loveth his wife, loveth himself. For no man yet hateth his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. And for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife. And they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. See, he starts out saying, I'm going to give you a little bit of marriage advice, (laughs) but really what I want you to see is the reality that we are the bride of Christ. You might not actually recognize it right off the bat, but he takes us all the way back to Genesis, to the first Adam and the first wife. Genesis chapter 2, verse 23. This is now bone of my bones. Isn't that what he just said about Jesus and us? Flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. He's taking us back and saying this reality, first Adam, first Eve, is the same reality I want you to recognize now, the last Adam and the last Eve we are the bride of christ we came out of jesus the same way eve came out of adam i love that he says and this is a great mystery because at first you think well what's a great mystery husbands and wives some of us would say yeah yeah that's a great mystery (laughs) but that isn't the great mystery you see in scripture a great mystery isn't something that's a mystery any longer When he uses the word mystery, he's saying, this was a secret, but now it's uncovered. He's uncovering the secret that we are the bride of Christ, that we are one, truly one with him. So Jesus is the bridegroom and we, the church, are his bride. And we look at uh, chapter two, verse 10 in Song of Solomon. It says this, my beloved, my bridegroom spake unto me, the church, the bride, rise up. The word translated rise up is the same word for arise. And it includes the idea of unto me. When you look it up in the root words, he's not saying, get up. <laughs> That's not what he's saying. He's coming to the bride and he's taking her by the hand. and He's saying, Arise, my love. Come with me, arise. It's not an order, <laughs> it's an invitation. In Matthew 11, verses 28 and 29, Jesus says this to all who were listening, all his people who were believers and unbelievers. He was saying, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. We usually think of that in terms of the unsaved. But Jesus is saying it to the church. You who labor and are heavy laden, come unto me. Learn what I say. Learn how I see. Learn of me. My yoke is easy. A believer has no rest apart from the truth of the gospel of grace. It is only when we realize that the work of salvation was completely completed on our behalf by Jesus that we can find rest for our souls. Too much of the church is tired and exhausted trying to make God happy. And the truth is, he's already happy. (laughs) He is already happy with us. The church really doesn't know the truth about how God sees her. And what I want you to see in this particular scripture is that the bridegroom calls his bride to arise into her true identity. Our true identity is given to us as a gift. We don't earn our identity. We learn our identity. It is Jesus who reveals to us who he has made us to be. He calls us to arise and step into the true identity as his bride, as one who is one with him, one who is wanted, one who has been sought, one who he laid down his life for. That's what he's calling this bride to do, to participate, to rise unto him. I have five definitions of the word arise. I will try to make this fast. (laughs) The first one is arise. It means to move to a higher place. Jesus wants us to move from our old identity as sinful and worthless slaves into the new creation identity of His bride. He wants us to move from living in the lower life of the flesh to living the higher life of love, of power, and of freedom. He calls us to come out of the slave market, come out of the slave mentality, because we're no longer slaves. We're not slaves to sins, and we're not slaves to religion. We're not slaves to the law. We're not slaves to our own laws. We're not slaves. We've been made righteous and holy and beautiful and made completely complete in Christ. So Jesus calls to his church, arise, my love, into your new identity. See yourself the way I see you. Go from that low living to the high place. When we arise to Christ, we arise to the highest place, the right hand of the Father in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, Therefore, if any man, any person be in Christ, he is a new creature and old things are passed away. Behold, all, 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 all things are become new. The real you is all brand new. Romans 6, 6 says, we know that the person that we used to be was crucified with him, to put an end to sin in our bodies. Because of this, we are no longer slaves to sin. We need an identity change. We have already been raised to new life. Sin no longer has any power over us because we sit at the highest place in Christ Jesus. We are the bride at his side. The second word, arise, means to arise in a hostile sense. Now, you might not get that from... Arise, my love. He's like, I want you to get ticked off. Not a people. <laughs> Not a people. <laughs> but against the lies of the enemy. Satan, and sometimes even our own conscience, will try to get us to accept a false identity. Satan wants us to see ourselves the way he sees us. And he sees us in hate and in loathing. He sees us as shameful and worthless. And nothing could be further from the truth because we have been made innocent in Christ. I can't tell you how many years I spent hating myself because I couldn't make myself skinny enough. I couldn't make myself prettier. I couldn't make myself smarter. I couldn't live up to some standard that somebody else was setting for me. So I hated myself. That is a lie of the enemy. You are not called to be what somebody else says you should be. You are called to live out your true identity in Christ. Romans 5:1 in the Young's literal translation says this: "Having been declared righteous then by faith, we have peace toward God through the Lord Jesus Christ." Declared righteous. I love declared righteous. <laughs> it means not guilty. It means my father has a legal document somewhere up there in heaven. There is a legal document that says not guilty. Valerie Testerman, not guilty. <laughs> satan can accuse all day long the verdict will not change no matter how badly i behave no matter how far i fall short of my performance the legal document never changes not guilty my father sees me in full compliance with his law of love so jesus calls to us his church arise my love into the truth of who i say you are don't put up with the lies You pull them down. Don't let Satan pull you down. You pull him down. In 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5, it says this, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Strongholds are strong thinking patterns, strong believing patterns. And it goes on, casting down imaginations, and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Casting down means to lower with violence. To lower with violence. So when the enemy comes against you and says, you're not enough, you need to work harder, try harder, blah, 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 with violence cast down those vain imaginations with violence understand that they are an attack of the enemy to pull you down to his level to take you from you understanding the who you are and where you sit at the highest level he wants you to see yourself at the lowest level because you will walk out what you believe if you believe you live in the low level if you believe you're a slave to sin if you believe you can't overcome if you believe you're a failure guess what you're going to get you're going to get what you believe he says don't let Satan do that get mad (laughs) get hostile get violent with the lies of the enemy and cast them down and don't let him pull you down to his level Jesus Christ completely obeyed the law on my behalf so I bring every accusation and every condemnation to the obedience of Christ Satan says you fall short I go the obedience of Christ (laughs) look right there perfect obedience he says you're failing perfect obedience Bring it into the truth of who you are in Jesus Christ. And by the way, our weapons of the warfare is the truth of God, the love of God, the righteousness of God, and the resurrection power of God. And guess what? All of those weapons belong to us. (laughs) We have the power to be violent with the enemy. The third arise means to become powerful. We are always in the process of becoming outwardly what we already are inwardly. You see, we underestimate how powerful we are in Christ. We so easily believe the whispers of Satan and of the world, and even of our own really bad programming. We believe lies like we're powerless. We believe lies like we can't. You can't stop. You can't change. You can't get over. You can't fill in the blank. Satan's always going to tell you what you can't be and can't do and can't have. We need to know how powerful we are because all of those things are lies. And Jesus calls us to rise and to come into the understanding that we have already been made powerful. When we were made righteous, we were made powerful. 2 Timothy 1.7 says this, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power. And the word power is miraculous, miracle-working power. That's what he gave us. He gave us power miraculous miracle working power supernatural miracle working power so the spirit in us is one of power of love and a sound mind which is saved thinking acts 1 8 but ye shall receive miracle working power after the holy ghost has come upon you philippians four thirteen. i can i can I can do what Jesus says I can do, I can have what Jesus says I can have, I can walk in what he's called me to do, I can because he gives me the strength, amen? Luke ten nineteen says, behold, I give unto you power, miraculous working power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. 1 Corinthians 4.20, for the kingdom of God is not just in word, but in miracle working power, supernatural resurrection power. Ephesians 6.10, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power, the miraculous working power of Christ. That's what's inside of us. We look at the mirror and we go, I don't, I don't see miracles. I, I don't see any power. You're not looking in the right place because it's in there it's in there. And that's what it means to come into our new identity. We have all the power we need to do whatever he calls us to do. Ephesians 3.20, now unto him that is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all we ask or think, above all we can see or hear, according to the miraculous working power on the inside of us. What can you do far above and beyond all you could ask or think, because of the miraculous working power that has been given to us in the Holy Spirit. We have inside of us right now the supernatural, miraculous power of God. But most of the time we don't believe it because we don't feel it. But the more we begin to believe it, the more you'll begin to feel it and operate in it it becomes alive, it becomes real. All of a sudden your belly is so full of power you've got to give it to somebody. <laughs> it happens, it happens to me and it can happen to you too. So our bridegroom calls us to rise my love, believe in the power that is already within you. Number four, arise it means to become visible. We don't have to hide who we are from Jesus. We don't have to cover ourselves with works of ministry or religion or self-effort. We don't have to try to hide our failures and our sins and our mistakes, because he already knows them all. We can stand before God knowing he sees us for who we really are in Christ. He sees us in the beauty of holiness, even when we haven't acted holy. He loves us for who we are in him our father knows that we live according to what we believe about ourselves and the more that we are convinced that he has made us holy and righteous the more holiness and righteousness will show up in our lives it will become visible Matthew 5:14, for ye are the light of the world a city set on the hill that cannot be hid." Ephesians 5 8 for ye were sometimes darkness before ye came to Christ But now ye are light in the Lord, walk of children of light. You see, when you believe your darkness, that's what shows up in your life. You start realizing the miraculous working power of God inside of you, that you are the light of the world that cannot be hid. It'll start showing up on the outside. He wants us to arise. He says, arise, my love, and shine. You don't have to hide anymore. Because in me, you are the light of the world. Number five, to arise means to stand. It means to be erect. I like this, and it means to be supported by the roots, like a tree. A tree is supported by its roots. The deeper the roots are and the better the soil is, the more stable the tree is. A tree with deep roots in good soil can weather the worst of storms and remain standing. And that is what Jesus calls us to, to arise and stand. I like this picture because in this picture, we are the tree But you know what the soil is? It's God's love and acceptance. God's love is always providing us with constant nourishment, constant acceptance. And it's the understanding of his unconditional love that gives us stability and strength. An unstable Christian hasn't yet been rooted and grounded in God's unconditional love and acceptance for them. They think he's still mad when they fail. The Apostle Paul talks about this in the book of Ephesians. In chapter 3, he prays for his readers. Chapter 3, verse 16, and this is the God word version. It says, I'm asking God to give you a gift from the wealth of his glory. I pray that he would give you inner strength and power by his spirit. Then Christ will live in you through faith. I also pray that love may be the ground in which you sink your roots and on which you have your foundation. You see, so many Christians are up and down they're tossed to and fro easily a storm comes into their life and suddenly they can't find Jesus anymore they try something new even it's really bizarre why is that because they are not grounded and they have not made the love and acceptance of God their foundation when you know nothing can change God's opinion of you when nothing can take your salvation away from you when you know that you know that you know You are the righteousness of God in Christ. It doesn't matter what storm comes because you know God loves me. This storm is just a storm and it will pass and I will remain standing. I will be the victor at the end of this. I may have to go through a storm but I will be the victor at the end of this. That is what keeps us stable is our relationship with God knowing that nothing can take us out of his hand. Our foundation can't be in our own ability to make ourselves righteous or to keep ourselves righteous. If our roots are in our self-effort, then we will end up feeling naked and ashamed. Our holes of our self-righteousness will rip open our garment of righteousness, and we will feel like we are exposed and naked. And it's a lie. It's an illusion. He doesn't want that. He doesn't want us to see ourselves as trying to make ourselves whole. He has already made us whole. The truth is, Christians fail sometimes. It's true. (laughs) And when we do, we need to stop trying to fix ourselves through trying hard, and we need to focus on the bridegroom's love and acceptance of us. When we focus on arising unto Jesus, it changes everything. It sounds counterintuitive that if I have a problem, I turn away from the problem and I focus on Jesus. We need to stop focusing on the problem because there's no answer there. Jesus has the answer. Jesus is the answer. And the more we see him, hear him, arise and walk in who he says we are, the less of those problems we will have. Ephesians 8:18 8, says this This way with all of God's people you will be able to understand how wide long high and deep is the love of God This way what way well, our roots are sunk down deep into the foundation of God's love and mercy and goodness That's what keeps us stable Verse 19 you will know Christ's love and this know is experience This isn't something you know in your head Yeah God loves me That's not what changes you. You can tell perfectly strangers Jesus loves you. It means nothing. But when you experience the love of God, when you experience his unconditional forgiveness, his unconditional goodness, his unconditional acceptance of us, it changes us. It sets us free. And that's what God wants for us. He wants us to rise in that freedom. He says, and you will know Christ's love, which goes far beyond any mere head knowledge. And I am praying this so that you may become completely filled with God. I love that. You see, we have been filled with the Holy Spirit in our spirit man. So what part of us gets more and more filled? Mind, will, and emotions? Our body? Yes, God wants to fill us completely. So that body, soul, and spirit, we are filled with the Holy Spirit. We are filled with the miraculous working power of God. We are filled with the righteousness. We are filled with a correct identity. Imagine an army of people who did that. (laughs) who went out into their world, their world, their work world, and said, I am the light of the world. I have the answer to every problem, and his name is Jesus, and I have the miracle-working power inside of me. By the way, do you have something wrong with you? Because I know a man who heals. I know a man who saves. I know a man who delivers, and he just happens to live on the inside of me, and he says he doesn't require anything of you to get it. He doesn't require a contract. But once you meet this Jesus... Oh, you're going to fall in love. He'll change you. He'll wreck your world. (laughs) Glory belongs to God, verse 20, whose power is at work in us. By this power, he can do indefinitely more than we can ask or imagine. And isn't this not the desire of our hearts to be filled with all the fullness of God, to walk in the miracle working power of God, to experience his love on a continual basis? Is that not the desire of our hearts? But this is only possible when we arise unto Jesus. Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 10. The beloved is the bridegroom. He spake. That's the first thing. He says, the bridegroom spake. Ha ha. That's that's what always should be first, is hearing what the bridegroom is saying. He says, arise, and we can't help it. (laughs) When we know it's him, and it's his power, it's his love, our arising is our response to him calling and inviting us to walk with him. We must hear what the bridegroom is saying. John 10, 27 Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you hear him. And you hear him better than you think you do. You hear him a whole lot better than you think you do. I still am amazed at how many times I hear Jesus and I don't recognize it. Because he sounds just like me. (laughs) He sounds just like me. And it's only when he calls my attention, he says, this is me, hello. Hello. When he says something and then I see it come to pass. At that conference we went to, before I left or during my quiet time with the Lord, the Lord said to me, I have called you to be a prophet to the nations. You will go where I tell you to go, and you will speak what I tell you to speak. And I thought, I'll write it down, but I have no idea why you want me to know this. It was during that conference he gave me a word. I had tongue and interpretation. I was hoping somebody else was going to interpret. You ever do that? Does someone else got this, Lord? Because I don't know if I know the interpretation but you step out in faith and God shows up. I stepped out and gave a tongue and I'm waiting for someone to come and take the microphone away and interpret. Nobody came. Okay, Jesus. And the Lord said something like, you are my sheep. I will not leave you as orphans. In fact, he said it three times I will not, I will not, I will not leave you as orphans. He said, I will give you a shepherd. I did not know what that meant to the people there, but all of a sudden, all of a sudden, the presence of God just filled the room with the heaviness of his presence. I did not know I was talking to a room full of people who felt like they had been abandoned that God himself hadn't sent them someone to shepherd them. But he was assuring them, I haven't forgotten you. It changed their heart. It changed their world. You and I have the power to do that. When we step out in faith and understand we have the miracle working power of God inside of us, you hear him better than you think you do. So we need to hear him when he calls to us, arise, my love my fair one, and come away. And come away simply means to walk. Come away. Come walk with me. He said, learn of me. Let me show you how to do it. Walk with me. Let's walk this out together. So he is saying, arise unto me, you who are loved. Accept who I say you are. Accept that you are loved and accepted right where you are and just as you are accept that you are beautiful in righteousness and holiness and then come and walk with me and grow with me. Let your roots grow deeper and deeper into the revelation of my love for you. It is the security of God's unconditional love and acceptance that gives us the stability and strength to handle any storm. One of the things my husband had talked about earlier is that so often we think, why aren't we farther along in this? Why aren't I better at this? Why can't I be all grown up now? <laughs> we are in our spirit, but it's something we're working out in our flesh. When my oldest son was two years old, it was way back before they had car seats, and we were going to go somewhere. I had my little two-year-old son in between me and my husband, and my two-year-old turns to his daddy, he pulls on his sleeve, and he says, oh, blah, 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 blah. blah. And of course daddy didn't understand a word he said because it was two-year-old, two-year-old language. And he says, uh, sure. (laughs) And I started laughing. He goes, what's so funny? I said, you just told him he could drive. (laughs) My two-year-old wanted to drive the car. He wanted to be just like daddy. And sometimes that's us. Sometimes that's us for, God, I want to drive the car, Daddy. And he's like, you can, but you're going to grow into it. Sometimes we're just budding. We're just growing. We're going to get better. We are completely complete. My two-year-old was completely complete. He had all his fingers and all of his toes. He was completely complete, but he hadn't yet grown into what he could one day be and do. That is what we're doing. We are walking out with Christ. We are growing outwardly more and more into what we already are. Inwardly. The more we see ourselves doing the works of Jesus, the more the works of Jesus will come out of our life. It is all about how we see ourselves. And lastly, I felt like the Lord was saying this is a prophetic word. This is a prophetic word, not just a scripture. He says this, this is the bridegroom saying, the bride speaking. My beloved spake and said unto me, Arise, my love, my fair one, and come with me. For lo, winter, the dark season is past. The storm, the rain is over and gone. The storm you were going through is over and it's behind you. And the flowers, the blossoms are beginning to appear. That is the growth in Christ. When the more we step into who we really are in our identity, he says, I can see you're growing. You may feel like you're only two, but I see that you're bigger than that. You are walking in more power than that. And the time of singing is come. Most versions, they add of birds, but it's not there in the original. He says, the time of singing has come. And the voice of the turtle dove is heard in the land. The voice of the turtle dove is the voice of the Holy Spirit. And he says, the fig tree ripeneth her green figs. What is that saying? I might be a little green. I might have to have a little help stepping out and trusting Jesus. But he says, you're getting ripe. You're getting ready. You're growing in this. You're going to be able to do all the things I've called you to do and be all that I've called you to be. He says, the vines are in blossom. You have fruit. You have fruit. They give forth their fragrance. So arise, my love, my fair one, and come away and walk with me. The more we want to grow, the more fruit we want to bear. It all comes out of the relationship of love. It all comes out with the understanding that I am perfectly loved and perfectly secure and that my roots go deep, deep, deep down into His love. The more I go deep with Jesus, the more fruit comes out of my life. The more fruit comes out in my life. You can't go looking for fruit you got to go looking for Jesus. You can't go looking for evidence. you got to go looking for His love. The more you understand and experience His love, all of the kingdom shows up out of His love. So the more we understand how loved and how accepted we are and all that is in us in Christ, the more we step into our new identity, the more we're going to see Jesus on the outside. Amen? Let me pray for you. Father God, I thank you for your word and your truth. I thank you that you have spoke through this whole service that you went before me and you stood behind me. When I didn't think it was everything it should be, you said it is enough because it is what I has given you. I will speak. I will move. I will touch. I will heal. I will instruct. I will do what you cannot do. And that is the truth of our relationship with Jesus. The more we rely on him, the more he shows up in our life. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for moving this morning. I thank you for the worship this morning. I thank you, Father, for the communion this morning. I thank you, Father, that you are faithful and that you never leave us or forsake us and that you bless us because you have made us blessable through Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.